This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. No, uh, it was a great cross, wasn't it? <laughs> so, but uh, like in football, you take everything you get. I mean, we, we actually didn't play as well as we could play today, so the good thing is that we scored three goals, feeling that we've not played as well as we could have. And uh, maybe in the other games, we've not played quite as well. We've just not got the goals to go with it, and we've had the chances to do so. But uh, look, players showed great resilience, great character to come back from being behind twice in the game. We lose the goal just before half-time when we were going in one each instead of 2-1 down, which was a, a huge blow. We use a, lose a player and then it, you know, in, in the end we're sort of messing around a little bit, trying to patch up the team just before half-time. But uh, it just shows they, they've kept at it and got the rewards in the end. Off the Ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. David Moyes speaking after West Ham defeated Chelsea at the weekend to move into the top four. Um, it is me, Ross. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rapidly t- uh, turning down. I, I don't know if you can, if the mic picked up the all that ticking. That was my timer. That was my timer. I'm also cooking at the same time. <laughs> no, thanks for joining me. Sorry, off the ball a little bit. Hey, that's the show title. It's me, Ross. It's a Monday evening. Uh, with the guys as well, Nicholas Arnil is here. Hi, Nick. Hi, Ross. What's up? How are you doing? I just realised we've got two Leeds United fans on the show this evening. Arvin Sidhu being the other one. Hands aloft and all that. Hello, everyone. All Leeds on Tweed. That's our slogan. So it means all of us are in this together. And wearing his I Heart uh, Origi t-shirt, it is Craig Wilkie. <laughs> Origi the legend. Ball, on the ball, nowhere near the ball. I don't know where we are anymore. But... <laughs> uh, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We try and keep you up to speed with everything that's happened happening in the world of football and uh, our little world as well. Uh, speaking of little world, West Ham are, are having a, a, an alternate universe this season. They're up to, up to fourth. It was a very impressive 3-2 win uh, against Chelsea, albeit with a rather fluky goal at the end, Nicolas Arnel from Masuaku. Who, who has come out and said, you, you know, I, I was as surprised as you were. <laughs> Fair enough. I was actually hoping that he said he was going to go for it. And, you know, he absolutely meant it. You know, that would have been a better statement. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, nonetheless, uh, goal or not, I, I think it was a, it was a victory that um, West Ham um, deserved, you know, uh, deserved in the sense that they gave Chelsea a torrid time. You know, they even though Chelsea took the lead twice, you know, West Ham have showed so much of character under David Moyes this season, you know, to come back. Uh, they've, they've made up of a team of, you know, pure bunch of fighters. And they've, and they've shown that throughout this season. And this game was a classic example, yeah. you know, of their fighting spirit and their determination to get back in the game. Um, while Masuaku will take the credit for that last minute uh, winner, you know, I, I, I just look back to Mikal Antonio. And the role that he's played in this game, for me, he was absolutely immense. Not just his central positioning as a striker but the, the the work rate that he does off the ball you know running those channels if you look at that goal that Masuaku scored you know Masuaku only made that that cross come short just because uh, Mikal Antonio dragged the defender to the side and created that room for Masuaku to provide that cross you know that's that's a pure example of you know the work that has been done uh, in in West Ham and I, I would really like to see them go and continue to, you know to battle these top teams um, you know, in the in the coming games, we know that December is going to be a hectic period with back-to-back matches and all that. Um, I, I'm just wondering if they have that that um, uh, size within the squad because we saw uh, a couple of injuries, you know, especially yeah. Kurt Zuma who hobbled off. So, you know, that's going to be a cause of concern. But in terms of spirit, in terms of determination, in terms of their work rate, you know, top, top, top marks to them. Yeah, absolutely top performance from the Hammers. I think one, one thing is clear. Uh, they need a striker. They need a, another foil, or you know, so that you can take the the workload off Mikel Antonio. But but Chelsea, they they're stumbling lately, Arvin. What what's going wrong with Tuchel's Chelsea? Then we again we saw Lukaku not given a runner, which is weird because I actually predicted he would have come in in the last game because he's a flat track bully and all that. But no, no Lukaku. Is there something brewing? Is there something wrong? 
Could be. I mean, this this is probably the one challenge that Thomas Tuchel has had is trying to incorporate Lukaku since he got him. Um, he did speak when he got injured previously against Malmo in the Champions League that Lukaku was physically, but more more worryingly, mentally tired because the guy had been through so much of football. And you would have thought that this period of injury would have given an opportunity to get a refreshed, a more a more angry Lukaku coming out of the blocks. But it, it hasn't happened yet. I, I still think that a bit more time is needed because you can't rush someone back in and give him 19 minutes. But you would expect a little bit more. And it's coming down to that old age of the Chelsea curse of the number nine, right? The likes of <laughs> Torres and Shevchenko. It's not worked, right? So I guess they also still have that at the back of their mind. Is that going to happen with Lukaku? I still think it'll be a very good signing for them in due time. But it was just a bad day at the office, I thought, for them. I, I mean, they, they've started recently, but this was a really a one-off, one-off game which they, they, they can afford to have it against likes of West Ham in the league because you have time to catch up. They started the, on the weekend on, on first and now they're third. But as the stakes get higher, they, they can't afford this against the bigger teams, especially in the Champions League. I mean, previously before this, I mean, they've conceded, they've hardly conceded more than a goal a game when they've played others. But mm. right now to concede mm. three under Thomas Tuchel, and the one one consistent thing is each time they've considered more than one goal, it's because Angolo Kante is not there. When Angolo Kante is not there, they lose a bit of that spine. Matthew Kovacic is out till January. He's so underrated as well. So for all the riches that Chelsea have and all the depth that they have, they've got some challenges right now and they need to overcome it. I still think that they will, but it's a, it's a period where Thomas Tuchel has to come up with a bit more solutions than he has been the last couple of game weeks. Yeah, strange to think that Jorginho has been a bit of a weak link for them. Uh, ever since, I guess, realising that Messi was going to win the Ballon d'Or ahead of him. <laughs> it's, it's just not gone right for poor old Jorginho. Um, all right, uh, more about Chelsea later. They're involved in the Champions League uh, this week. Wolves nil, Liverpool won. Was uh, an incredibly cruel result on poor old Bruno Large and Wolves. They probably thought they, they did enough for a point, Craig Wilkie. But um, Divock Origi, we, we alluded to him at the start. I mean, he just scores big, big goals that wins big things, doesn't he? Yeah, it's extraordinary. He's, he's got that in him. He's done it time and again in those huge matches. And this was a huge match, make no mistake about it, because of the, the Chelsea result in particular. That not... It didn't just give Liverpool and City an opportunity, but it put a bit of pressure on them as well because yeah. you have to take advantage when one of your rivals slips up like that. And we've seen in, in some recent years, if we go back, look over the last three or four seasons, that the title can come down to such fine margins. You know, We've seen it won by a point here, two points there. So weekends like this can actually prove to be crucial. And Wolves, as we've seen over the course of this season, I'm not sure they're playing quite as fluently as we've seen in recent seasons, but they've become very hard to play against, very difficult to break down. And, and Liverpool found that for long spells of the game. I mean, apart from the Jota chance, which was incredible how he missed that. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask I, you. I, I was just going to ask you. How, how does... How the, uh, is it because I bought him for fantasy football? Is, is <laughs> well, that why? It, it could well be uh, everything to do with that. Um, <laughs> but it, it was one of those where... He's such a composed player normally that all he had to do was slip it to either side. He had so mm. much goal to aim at. And he, he chose to blast it down the middle where two Whoa. defenders have done a great job to get Straight back. Straight at Connor Cody's private. Yeah, and that's uh, that's uh, the definition of taking one for the team, I think, right there. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, as you say, Wolves must have felt as though they'd done enough to at least get a point. I, I think Liverpool, in terms of the balance of possession, in terms of the territory that they had, you can make a case that they deserve to win, but it wasn't looking like it. And they hadn't created quite enough. It was one of those games I felt as though you would want a player like Shakiri coming off the bench. And that, that sort of player was missing a little bit. And I think if, of course, Origi came, in, in, came on and does what he does so often. So, but so do, do you, do you think, do you think the January, January transfer window, Liverpool have to, have to at least get some, some sort of reinforcement? Yeah, when you look at the squad overall, when you look at the disruption that's going to come with the, the African Nations Cup, I definitely think a little bit of creativity, whether it's a striker or whether it's someone who can play in a bit more advanced role in midfield. Because you look at the midfield now, I mean, you've got Henderson as the most advanced player, right? Because he, he, didn't he didn't have the best games, did he? didn't have the best game. Fabinho likes to sit in a little bit and defend. So I think just someone to give you a little bit different option, a player like Shakiri might be one that Liverpool will look at come January. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, j- just a bit more on, on on wolves. I mean, they're if you you could be saying that they're reverting back to the old wolves. It's it's again goal scoring that's the problem. They seem to have everything, Nick. Uh, I mean, in this game, their their work rate was good. I mean, if Adama Traore just uh, just takes you know takes a little moment to look at his situations, he gets himself in. Uh, he would be such a good player. Um, but it's it's impressive the work that Bruno Large has done there, Nick. Don't you think? It has, it has, of course. You know, it's it's uh it's challenging, you know, uh, to come into the to, to take over a side like Wolves, you know, especially when Nuno had done such a great job with them. Um and I think in terms of spirited defensive displays, you know, working together as a unit, trying to close down spaces as much as possible, wolves are up there. But yeah. you just have to look at the deficiency, you know, that has, uh, you know, uh, sort of cost them a, a lot of precious points. They have not scored in the last five games. And that, that is where, you know, it, it tells you that this side, you know, even though they are they're made up of talented players, you know, up front, you know, you have a front three of Huang Hee-chan, Raul Jimenez and Adamo Traore. You know, uh, these, these three players have, have flattered to deceive uh, in, in so many of the recent matches. And, and if you look at them individually, they're such good players, you know. On their day, they can just turn it on. In yeah. fact, Adama Traore was so good, you know, uh, against Liverpool. You know, it's just his movement. Um, and, and it's just end product. End ball. products missing. Yeah. Everything the is so promising. Value was was so great, but you know, if you don't have end product, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you play teams like Liverpool, you you're not gonna you're not gonna get the points you need, and it's all gonna cost you, especially. Again, you know, in this December period where matches are coming in thick and fast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Liverpool took advantage of Chelsea's defeat because that win moved them up top of the table, albeit for a little while, until Man City rocked up at Vicarage Road. Um, seven wins now, seven consecutive wins in all competitions. Pep Guardiola, Arvin, came out after the game and, and said um, they're reaching the level now that he's really happy about. And and you can see why Bernardo Silva is just scoring for fun these days, isn't he? Three M's: mercurial, magnificent, masterful. That's what Bernardo Silva is. I mean, we yes, Mohamed Salah is the form player in the Premier League, but Bernardo Silva is not far off from him. best Portuguese uh, player in the league. Definitely best Portuguese player in the league right now. Uh, but uh, I mean, they, they just focused in and zeroed in on the Wolves Wolves backline right from the first minute. I mean. When you score as early as you do, it's going to bode well for City. And the, probably the one only blemish that they wouldn't have liked to is the, the opportunity that they gave Watford to actually score. But other than that, I thought they were thoroughly in control. Rodri, for me, um, when we, we talked about the times when Fernandino was, was aging and now he comes off the bench, they needed someone to come in there and consolidate things. Rodri, for me, does that job probably better than anyone in the Premier League. Uh, Raheem Sterling, right spot again, getting that header goal. So he is also coming to a bit of form. Think of the fact that the likes of Kevin De Bruyne is still on the bench. They still haven't, they still don't need to use him that much yet. And they're still doing it without a striker. So for me, they're the most focused team in the Premier League right now. And we've seen this last season as well. Right now, they're on five wins in a row. They've gone to Stamford Bridge. They've already won this season. All it needs is for Pep to kind of go on that run, and especially during this crucial period of time of the year. If he continues winning till the point of February, mid-February, the title could be in City's hands because he has that experience that the others, that Thomas Tuchel doesn't have. Liverpool's Jürgen Klopp has had it only once. Pep knows how to do this, and he hits it when the iron is really, really hot, and he's doing it right now. Well, it's certainly shaping up to be a a three-horse race uh, which is which is a lot better than like a PSG league that they have in certain countries. Um, a, a little bit about Watford: sixth defeat in eight matches now under Claudio Ranieri. I mean, okay, granted it's been a difficult old run with a few tough teams coming, except Man United. Um, but I mean, do do you think there are three worse teams than Watford, Craig? Do you think they'll they'll survive the drop? Oh, it's a good question. Uh. I've said before that I think the relegation fight is going to get very competitive as we move into the new year. And it definitely looks as though Watford are going to be part of that equation. I mean, we spoke about it earlier that the way that club has been run is bemusing on many levels. You know, the, the number of managers that they've gone through, you know, the change when it came earlier in the season was so strange to me because I didn't feel as though they'd made a bad start at all. 
Um, and it, it seems, albeit with the, the caveat that you mentioned, there's been a very difficult run of fixtures that Ranieri's had, you know, has, has he done a better job than, than was being done earlier on in the season? It, it doesn't necessarily seem so to me. Um, we know sometimes with Ranieri that there's a bit of inconsistency. At times, his teams can look, you know, as though everything is together, there's a system of play, and that they're, you know, they're, they're playing in a very attacking, entertaining way. And sometimes the wheels just seem to come off. And mm. we've seen that in certain performances. Now, okay, to be fair, this was City getting back to somewhere close to their best. And one of the things we love about the Premier League, of course, is that it is so competitive. We know that in any game, one of those sides who are a bit closer to the bottom can give the bigger sides a run for their money. So that, that's, that's one of the, the reasons why we, we tune in every week. But we also know that that difference of quality will will show and it will make a difference. And yeah. I think we, we can talk about any aspect of this game, but it really comes down to that. You know, when you've got the likes of Bernardo Silva playing in that form, it's very difficult for any defence to cope with. But Watford, I thought the first and the third goals in particular, they were really poor defensively. Yeah. I mean... You can't afford to give players of that quality that sort of time and space in the box. And if you do that, you're going to get punished ruthlessly at this level. And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, Daniel Bachman kept a few out as well for, for Watford in, in that game. So, yeah, City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Well, City, Liverpool, not Chelsea, not this week. Looking ominous as we head into our first break. As always, when it goes through the legs of the defender, makes it extra hard, but... A goalkeeper to make that save. You can see the delight on his face. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. That's a brilliant goal. Cool as you like. That's the finish of a man who scored 15 or 20 for the last couple of campaigns. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Nick Arvin and Craig Wilkie joining me to talk about Manchester United making a winning start to, to life under interim boss Ralph Rangnick. Um, Fred, I mean, if, if you're a regular listener to, to, the, to, the, to our shows on BFM, then you will know that the Man United fans on this show often sing the praises and absolutely lord up Fred. Fred, the best. <laughs> but I mean, it was a much improved performance, Nick, joking aside. Yeah, it was. Um, and I, I, I can see the, the, the sort of uh, vision that uh, Ralph is uh, trying to take, you know, um, just, just from his pre-match uh, uh, press conference. Uh, there are a couple of things uh, which he said that, that really, you know, kept, captured my attention. Uh, the first thing was him wanting to keep Michael Carrick because he needed someone, you know, who knows the club in and out. Um, so he tried his best to convince him it did not happen. Uh, but that but might that has, might still happen. I think Carrick just needs a t- bit of time away, you know. Yeah, from what from what he yeah. alluded to, you know, he might be back after after some 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 break. Um, and, and the second thing that he said was, you know, he, he he did not want to chop and change so much, and and that is that is in line with keeping with uh, Manchester United's tradition. Yeah, they're not a club that you know uh, chops and change at, at will. You know, they're they're not a club that that always demanded instant success. You know, they they want success to be built from the ground up. And, and that is precisely why, you know, Ralph has been brought in. Of course, uh, in this victory, we have not seen the true extent of, of his emphasis, you know, of his philosophy, because he only had one training session uh, prior to this match. But you could see in the first half an hour itself how Manchester United were pressing uh, Crystal Palace. And it's only because of Crystal Palace's defensive solidity that the match stayed nil-nil. So we can, we can uh, definitely expect to see more of this Gergen pressing uh, but more importantly, is what Ralph has envisioned for the future. He's always the guy who sees the bigger picture. So we will be definitely looking to see more of the bigger picture, you know, in terms of his personnel, in terms of, you know, his tactics. Fred is going to be a pivotal cop if, if you know, he, he, he uh, implements this 4-2-2-2. You know, uh, it's going to be such a, a, an important role for, for a player like him. So, you know, Manchester United fans, I'm sure they're over the moon, but, you know, this victory shouldn't be... Um, a, a denominator of, of the success that's going to happen. Rather, you know, it's just a preview of what's to come. Yeah. Um, what, what was evident was that the intensity of pressing, albeit for just like the first half an hour, uh, more compact, and, and Nick alluded to it, it's Raul's famous 4-2-2-2. He says he plays with two strikers, two number 10s, two number 6s, and, and then four at the back, but he likes the fullbacks to bomb up. So, 
Yeah, getting pressing. That's the blueprint. Uh, more about United later on because they're in Champions League action. Uh, interesting to see. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a much changed uh, United in midweek. But Crystal Palace now should worry a little bit about Crystal Palace, Arvin, because, um, right, I mean, it's what, their third third loss on the bounce now. Um, they were kept out. I mean, they, they're still good. They're, I mean, it's this, but noticeably, I mean, they're now actually worse off than they were under Hodgson last season, points-wise. Kind of puts a little bit of a, a wet blanket on top of what Vieira's revolution has been. I, th- I thought they did the complete opposite to what Man United were doing. Man United had one possession in the final third, I think 12 times, which is the most that they've ever had since the Sir Alex Ferguson days. Uh, Patrick Vieira summed it well enough. He knows what the problem of the game was. He literally came out and said they didn't create enough because they didn't use the ball well enough. Uh, well enough. And they were not brave enough in possession. And we've, we've, we've seen them do the opposite throughout the time in the other matches that they've had in, in, in the league, they played well against the likes of, of Man City and such. But but coming off the back of the loss at Leeds and now losing again at, at United kind of puts things a little bit into perspective for Vieira, which he probably feels that he kind of needs to kind of work things out. I thought on the day itself, there were some some really poor performances. I thought Jeffrey Schlupp for me was a real by, bystander in the middle. He, he, he disrupts the momentum that they try to build moving forward. Nathaniel Klein, for me, is never the answer since yeah. his time at Liverpool and now at, at Crystal Palace. He's just His career has just gone down. Tyreek Mitchell, for me, is the one one bright spot that they had of the day. We talked a lot about the, the Conor Gallagher's. And, and Zaha wasn't one, effective either, was he? Zaha wasn't, yeah. And they had that one chance. Like I thought Nick made a very good point earlier that when you go to grounds like this, the small teams, you have the opportunity, you have to take it. Jordan Ayu had Ayu, yeah. And if you put that in, game could have been quite different. Uh, but yeah, th- those are the things that Vieira will have to look at, but it's just kind of puts things into perspective when you look at the stats that he has versus what Roy Hodgson did at this time of last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, what, what does a, how, how does a Liverpool fan uh, take it all in? What, what do you make of Ragnick's first game at, at Man United? Do, do you think there's a future? Do you think United can work under these circumstances, Craig? First of all, I think it's a good appointment. And I can tell that not only based on his, his reputation and based on the work that he's done elsewhere, but you just look at what other managers are saying about him and take Klopp as the reference point for that. The amount of respect that he has amongst fellow coaches tells you that this is a guy who's, who's been around and, and knows what he's doing. And I think we saw some of that reflected in the game, as the guys were saying. And we have to remember, of course, as Nick pointed out, that he's had very little time to work with the players so far to be absolutely honest looking at the 90 minutes i feel as though some manchester united fans are getting a little bit carried away based on that one performance yeah i I thought i thought it was good it was better definitely but it's from a very low bar that 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 improvement is being made and and i still look at it from the point of view of if you're liverpool if you're chelsea if you're city you're not looking at that performance and being particularly worried and the strange thing is, I think at the start of the season, we all looked at that Manchester United squad and team and felt there's a title contending squad here. But then now when I look at that back four and I look at the two players sitting in front of them, that's not going to get you close enough to, to City and Chelsea. So it's not just about the work that he's going to do on the training ground. And we know that he's, he's got a lot of ability to do that, but there's going to still have to be money spent. And we know there's a lot of money already being spent at Manchester United, yep. but yep. I think further reinforcements are going to be required because the bar now is so high that, that Liverpool, City and Chelsea are, are setting this season. So work in progress, but enough positives, I think, for, for people to take out of that first game. Yeah, I, I think United's KPI this season is not, is not title. It's not top three. It's challenging West Ham. Is trying to stop David Moyes anyway. That that's it. That's that's in a nutshell. Uh, more about United in the Champions League later. Uh, Spurs under Antonio Conte is doing good business. Three straight league wins. Um, although big caveat here, Nicholas Anil, Harry Kane, uh, Esri Konsa has more goals than Harry Kane this season in the Premier League. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a matter of time uh, before that record uh, changes, Ross. Uh, yeah, you say game. that. I, I thought <laughs> that for a few weeks. I was even going to buy him for fantasy football, but no. Well, he looked more lively this time <laughs> around. You know, he, he looked like, you know, um, a person that was going to score, you know, sadly did not materialize in this game. Uh, it, 
it could have all changed in the first two minutes if we had put that that first chance away, you know, to either side or uh, Tim Krul. Uh, but overall, I thought um, Spurs are a much much uh, different unit uh, than they were several weeks ago. Of course, you know, there's there's only one man that uh, you know we can credit uh, to this instant change, and that that is Conte. That the change in formation as well, you know, three four three. You know, it, there's so much of movement down the flanks, you know. And you've got, if, in, in this team of Spurs, you've got so many players who, who are constantly on the move, you know, the likes of Lucas Moura, the likes of uh, Son, you know. And, and so there are so many gaps, you know, that, that, you know, you can exploit against, especially against opposition like Norwich. Um, and, you know, I just see uh, Lucas Moura's first goal and I, and I think back to a couple of weeks ago uh, when Spurs were losing and Nuno substituted uh, Moura. And there were booths ringing all around the stadium. I think it was a home game, you know. And not that long was after, he point. was gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was the turning point. And, and you look at that first goal, you know, that, that Spurs created. Just that, that, that silky run for Mora, that sweet interchange with Son, you know, and, and the beautiful shot to the top corner. That's what it's going to be about Spurs this time. I think for them, the challenge would be, you know, um, wanting to juggle Europe and also the league. Uh, they don't really have a big squad. Um, so I think Conte would, you know, most likely focus his attention on the league because they've got a core squad to at least, you know, compete to finish in the top six. Um, but this is the type of Spurs that, you know, people were expecting to see from the start of the season. And I think this is what they're going to be seeing uh, yeah. now on, under Conte. Yeah, I, I reckon we mentioned Man United and West Ham battling out for fourth. Spurs are well and truly in, in that fight as well. That's got to be the target for Conte. Um, interestingly, someone someone said some uh, over the weekend that, that Lukaku only plays well under Conte, and and I I wonder, you know what I mean? Because maybe he scares people in a certain way, but it's not working with Ari. I think it's just in one ear out here. Anyway, listen, another break. Back right after this. Here is the battle, which above and beyond all others is not for losing. Off the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. Well, <laughs> from the shadows to centre stage, it's a stunning goal from a player who's hardly had a touch. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. Nicholas Arnil, Craig Wilkie, Arvin Sidhu uh, with me this evening to look back on the weekend's game week 15. Of course, you can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. I trust you're all taking part in our BFM Fantasy League. Uh, must say, uh, congratulations to Yi Weng Soon, our October Manager of the Month with his U's FC. And uh, Tae Chi Yang was our November Manager of the Month with Moki FC. Both have been in touch and your prizes winging its way over to you. This season's BFM Fantasy Football brought to you by my-soccer.com. Right, Newcastle United have themselves their first win of the season. It only took 15 games, Nick. Don't know what the fuss is all about. Um, Eddie Howe, though, is convinced that they will beat the drop now that they've got their first win. Yeah, um, and... and what a goal it was, you know, albeit uh, a mistake from the goalkeeper. But, you know, um, these, are the, these are the games that Newcastle will need to win. These are the moments that they will need to capitalise on, you know. And, and players like Callum Wilson, you know, who, who's, who's, I think, yet to reach his uh, best potential uh, with Newcastle. He's been beset with injuries and a loss of form. Uh, but these are the players uh, that Newcastle are really going to need to, to uh, revitalise them. Uh, from observation, this season they've depended too much on uh, Saint Allen Maximan you know, to always dig them out of trouble. Um, they will need to be playing more as a unit. Um, and good start, good is a good win for Eddie Howe, but the, the road is long, um, Ross. You know, Newcastle are such a great club uh, with, with a big history. You know, and I think they have been really struggling ever since Rafa left them. And even then, even in that season, they finished like 15 or 16. And ever since it's, it's gone downhill, don't let the takeover, you know, uh, be a smoke, smoke screen to, to, to the riches and, and the new arrivals that will follow. Because if Newcastle, should Newcastle get relegated, and it could be a real possibility if you look at, at the intensity and competitiveness of the Premier League, you know, they're going to struggle to attract uh, top names, you know. So, so that project might, might just go on a stall. So this, these are games where, where they really need to, to conjure up wins. And it was a good win, but we'll have to see if they can continue to keep up this momentum. 
Yeah, um, January transfer window aside, uh, Eddie Howe, I guess, is convinced that they can beat the drop because it was a, it was the proverbial six pointer, I guess, Craig Wilkie. Because you're playing, I mean, Burnley, who lost, are one of those teams who you'd expect to get sucked in if Newcastle can pull off an escape because they're, they're down there as well, Burnley. I mean, do you think Newcastle have shown enough in them? I mean, signing players is it's a bit... I mean, you, you're going to have to discover some players that, that we haven't heard about here because the name players aren't going to go to Newcastle the way it is. Uh, not quite yet, that's for sure. I, we spoke earlier about how tight, potentially tight the title race could be. You know, it could come down to a point or two here or there. And same with relegation. Exactly, yeah. exactly the same when it comes to the battle for the drop. And there's a lot of good teams down there. I think it's a very competitive Premier League this season. And Newcastle, getting that win is so huge. Just the confidence of getting those three points. And as Nick was saying, you know, that little mini league of those, I think it could even be seven or eight sides who end up somewhere in and around the relegation battle. When they play against each other, those six pointers are going to be absolutely massive. And as you mentioned, Ross, there's all the euphoria around the takeover and the money that Newcastle might have available. That has to be forgotten about for now. This is, this is a project that the number one priority is staying in the league. So it's not about going and signing Mbappe you know, in January or the summer. That, that's not going to happen. It's about signing players who are going to keep you in the Premier League first and foremost. And then even if they do achieve that and get to the summer, it's going to be a building. You know, they're not going to suddenly just go and start you know, talking about Champions League for next season, something like that. They're going to have to progress through those those different phases, but they've got to start now, and they've got to start with with staying in the division to begin with. And yeah. I think Eddie Howe will have will have been pleased with the attitude of the players that they've, you know, they, they haven't let their heads go down even in a difficult situation, and they have some quality. You know, Wilson yeah. he showed with a goal. Uh, so maximum we've talked about before. They need those players firing now, and especially yeah. in games like this. And I think they have a bit more quality than the likes of Burnley, for example, yeah. and that could be just enough to keep them up. Yeah, and, and a clean sheet as well. That's got to please Eddie Howe. All right, elsewhere, Aston Villa 2, Leicester 1 was uh, was quite an entertaining Midlands derby. Nobody expected it to be that 300-mile-an-hour swash, swashbuckling. It was. It was really fast. It was actually a very good game. Esri Conser was awarded with two goals. I say awarded. The first one, he barely got the end of his boot to it. Um, but... It's three wins out of four for Steven Gerrard, Arvin. I mean, you talk, we talk about momentum new managers create. Uh, he's certainly done that, Aston Villa, and it's, it's a mark, marked, much better performance in terms of energy. And, the, you know, they, they're running around for, for the manager, aren't they? Yeah, even a disallowed goal couldn't stop Aston Villa beating yeah. Leicester. I mean, yeah, they, they th- that's another thing. Was it full I, control I, on the ball with one palm no, on it? No, Casper Schmeichel has probably upset his fingernail got 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 broken in that that instance <laughs> because that was a perfectly good goal that was taken away from Jacob Ramsey and and Casper Schmeichel has been like that he's constantly always complaining that something's not going right for him, but Villa are great right now three wins out of four like you said they've leapfrogged Leicester into the top half of the table and who yeah. would have said that when they had that five losses in a row under Dean Smith everyone was talking about gloom and doom. Um, he hasn't fully integrated the new signings, right? Like, like Emmanuel Bundier, still it takes a little bit of time, but at least you see the progress that was probably not there under Dean Smith. Uh, Ezra Konsa, again, focus, dominant, two goals. John McGinn, for me, is probably the player that's taken in the most since Steven Gerrard has come in because he probably in that position models himself to... He's a one-man closing down machine, Arvin. Exactly, exactly. So in that sense, um, a lot of positives for Villa right now. Jacob Ramsey, even Ollie Watkins right now is looking much more lethal than he probably did a couple of months ago. And next up for Steven Gerrard is the emotional trip to Anfield. Yeah. If he does something there, then you really got to stand up and take notice and say that this is the real deal. Well, Um, yeah, Absolutely. Good, good, good manager bounce syndrome, but I don't expect it to just be a, a manager bounce. I expect it to continue for foreseeable future. Great appointment. Villa can take heart from their performance against City. Despite that loss, they were very good in that game. Yeah, it sets up nicely for next week. Um, Leeds United, were, well, Patrick Bamford returns. And how important is Patrick Bamford to the Leeds United setup, Nicholas Arnil? Um it was 2-2. I mean, okay, if, on the face of it, 
expected to get three points. That would have put you nicely, safely in mid-table. But the way the game the game panned out, it felt like a win <laughs> at the end, didn't it? Yeah, but it also felt like two points dropped because for, for large large parts of the game, Leeds, Leeds were the dominating force, you know, until until the equalizer went in. And you know, it's a classic example of how one goal can change a game because as soon as Brentford scored practically out of nothing, with perhaps their first shot on target, everything changed. Calvin Phillips came off, and then you know, uh, minutes later they con- considered a second goal, and suddenly it seemed like Leeds were hanging on the ropes. But if you if you look back at the at, at, at the first half and and you know uh, early parts of the second half, they were the team that was taking all the initiative. They were the team who looked most likely to go two 0 up. You know, um, Tyler Roberts had his best game in a long time. You know, to give uh, uh, Leeds the lead. You know, they're the ones seizing the initiative. They're the ones who are pressing, um, and you know, creating the chances, closing the gaps. Um, but then Brentford just changed changed the complexion of the game so fast. Um, and it needed a Bamford intervention, you know. We've, this is what we've been missing for a long time, you know. A little striker, uh, based on last season's performance, a striker with a knack for uh, killer instinct, and, and that's what we've got. Um, but for me, it felt like two points lost, uh, simply because, uh, you know, of, of that gap where, where two goals just went in in quick succession, um, and it, it felt like... Um, at the end of the day, yes, a, a point gain, but it could have been so much more. Uh, the positives is that, you know, Pampered uh, is back. Hopefully, he will start. Hopefully, he will start scoring for us because we've experimented with so many players in that in that focal point. Um, but also, the injuries that we've had to deal with, that's another major concern. Um, overall, all smiles, but, you know, uh, again, I, I, I would have been happy with, with, with three points, obviously. Of course you would have. But, but Brentford are on, on a kind of recovery. They, I mean, quite commendable because they are absolutely ravaged by injuries and they're a tiny squad. And Brentford, funnily enough, we, none of us on both shows have mentioned Brentford as a potential candidate for the drop. They're not in that fight just yet for, for a lot of the pundits. Um, the other game, quick mention, South Coast Derby, Southampton won, Brighton won, expected really. Uh, still one more game to go in, in round 15, and that is Everton against Arsenal. Rafa under pressure, tell you about that right after this. Perfect distance. His left foot is an absolute wand. The technique is exceptional. Waiter, no chance. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. We're going to pick someone out and he has done. The substitute makes an instant impact. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we all are. Nick, Craig, Arvin looking at Everton versus Arsenal. It's the last remaining game of game week 15, Tuesday, 4 a.m. kickoff. Um, there's a lot of talk. He's the favourite to get the sack, Craig Wilkie, Rafa Benitez. I uh, got given the uh, the seal of approval by Moshiri at the weekend. Oh, yeah, his job is safe. We all know how that pans out. But, I mean, <laughs> he is a man under pressure. I mean, we hear Marcel Brands has, has walked... This weekend, fans have been chanting, bought out, bought out. So, I mean, it's going to be a weird old Goodison Park this evening or tomorrow morning. Yeah, it could be. And Rafa's definitely under pressure. And, you know, the thing is, once fans turn against you, it's very difficult to get them back on side. And, you know, Everton, I think maybe there was a little bit of suspicion around Rafa coming in to begin with among some sections of the support just because of his history with Liverpool. But to be fair, he came in and early on proved some of those doubters wrong and they made a reasonably confident start to the season. But after about six weeks or so in, things have gone downhill and they've gone downhill very, very rapidly. And the strange thing is there's still a lot of quality in that squad. Still a lot of really good players there. I know they've had injuries, but there's just something that's not clicking and is not right. And this is not an easy game either because Arsenal we know, have, have been getting better as the season has, has progressed. And it's not this Arsenal side now under Arteta. It's not who you'd want to come to town when your job is under, under this much pressure. And I said at this time last week on the show before the, the Merseyside derby that it's not even about a win. 
they just need a performance out of those players. Yeah. You know, something that's a bit more energizing, something that looks a bit more committed, something that looks as though, okay, I can see where we're going with this and that Rafa's got things under control. If he doesn't get that out of this game, then the pressure that's already there is only going to build further. And we know, as Nick was saying earlier in the show, that there's now going to be four or five games coming up in quick succession. You can lose three games in a week, you know, and all of a sudden you start to be in real, real trouble. And, and when chairmen start looking ahead to January transfer window and who's going to have money to spend, if you're under pressure at this time, then things don't look good for you at all. No, absolutely. Just as Leeds managed to welcome back Patrick Bamford, Everton need to do that to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Uh, Solomon Rondon requires a scan on a hamstring injury. Not that he was any good anyway. Uh, Bukayo Saka, sorry, it's Rondon and his family if you're tuned in. We love him, really. Send us a signed shirt. Um, Bukayo Saka, in contention to start, he was uh, a substitute against United because of a minor injury. Uh, it's a 4 a.m. kickoff, Everton Arsenal. We fear the worst for, for Everton and Rafa in that one. Uh, Leipzig against Man City is a Group A Champions League game. All the European uh, League Cups and all that uh, all come to a close, the, the league section anyway. It's all the sixth game. Uh, Leipzig, their opponents, lost 2-1 to Union Berlin away at the weekend. Currently 11th in the Bundesliga, Arvin. Jesse March sacked by Leipzig. Leipzig in the wake of the Saturday defeat. Um, it's all not going well. They were expected to challenge with Dortmund and Bayern for the title, but uh, far away from that. Far away. Jesse March was actually the assistant under Ralph Ragnick. Now there's yeah. a bit of talk. A li- there's Leipzig, a little right. bit of talk that there's a little bit of talk that he wouldn't mind taking on a job at Man United. So that's something that just to keep an eye out. Uh, but they had that 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 trio of of Ralph Ragnick, uh, Jesse March, as well as Julian Nagelsmann, where literally they went to the German F- they went to the German FA Cup final. They finished third. Uh, but in the Champions League, they've just been really, really bad. They've only taken four points out of 15. I think the only win they had was against Club Brooch. Um, it's quite a fall of grace for a team that, like you say, was expected to at least be in the top half, which they're not even there right now. Um, they welcome back the likes of Tyler Adams from suspension, and he's important to the squad. They've got the ex-Barcelona boy there, Ilax Moriba, who was a bit of a contract rebel at Barcelona, and then eventually ended up at Leipzig. And sometimes you don't want such players because you know their intention to play is a little bit more different. It's very driven by the monetary amount. Uh, but losing to Union Berlin over the weekend didn't help. Uh, the one bright spark that they really have is Christopher Nguku. Uh, yeah. He came from PSG. I think he's scored like, I think, five goals in Bundesliga so far. So he's a good player. He's one that they probably eventually will let go. Like they've let go other players as well, like Sabitzer and Timo Werner. But other than that, uh, I don't see them giving... City are trouble for this one. City, are, they, they will want to finish top and they're guaranteed to finish top, but the professionalism of Pep will probably take them through on this one. Yeah, uh, played behind closed doors, I understand, Leipzig uh, versus Man City because of the rising COVID. Uh, Leipzig looked like they are guaranteed a Europa League spot at least, unless Club Brugge managed to beat PSG by uh, an 11-0 scoreline. Um Unlikely, unlikely. Uh, AC Milan uh, against Liverpool is a Group B game Wednesday, 4 a.m. Liverpool just made light work of this supposed group of death, Craig Wilkie. Porto, Milan, Atletico, Atletico bottom. I mean, the fight is on for second. That That's a massive fight. Porto, Atletico is probably the big game of Group B. But I mean, what kind of will it be a much changed Liverpool side? Will, will Klopp keep, want to keep the momentum going? Will, will he play the first-teamers? How do you see this going? It's always a dilemma, isn't it? I, I think there will be changes for sure because, as we've talked about already on the show, it's such an intense period coming up. December, January, there's so many games across so many different tournaments and this is where the whole squad comes into it. And it's probably slightly complicated even further for Liverpool again because of the, the African Nations Cup as well. So it's not only about making sure players are rested, but... Klopp is also going to want to look at some of those options that he has for how he's going to cope in the absence of the likes of Salah and, and Manny. And we saw Rigi come off the bench to such great effect at the weekend. You know, maybe he's done enough to deserve you know, a, a start and, and get a little bit more of a run just, just to see how that might work. Um, and he'll be probably looking at some of the younger players as well, just to give them more Champions League experience than, than perhaps they've had so far. And again, it's such a long, hard season that there'll be some of those more experienced players that, 
you know, Thiago might not play every week, for example. Fabinho, we know he's had injuries. So if you can take that opportunity to rest them or maybe start them on the bench, you can always bring them on for the final 20 minutes, something like that. I think we'll definitely see a few changes in that Liverpool lineup. Yeah, AC Milan are our top of Serie A at the moment. They beat Salernitana 2-0 on Saturday, one point clear of Inter. Porto versus Atletico is the other game. As I say, the fight is on for second uh, in the group and, and I guess the Europa League spot as well. Uh, Chelsea needs something in Russia when they take on Zenit St. Petersburg in Group H. They're tied with Juventus on 12 points. You expect Juve at home to Malmo to win that one, Nicholas Arnil. So Chelsea, well, I mean, apart from wanting three points, they want to get back to winning ways again. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think uh, Tuchel will, will put out a strong squad. You know, he's not going to take this lightly because, um, you know, everything is at stake. It's, it's uh, first and second, you know, affects the draw uh, uh, for, the, for the knockout round. So, you know, he's going to put a strong side. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see who he starts up front. We've seen so many players already start up front. We've seen Hakim Ziyech there. We've seen Kai Howard, you know, uh, Timo Gunnar as well. Uh, perhaps Lukaku will get his chance. Uh, to start from the start, um, uh, even Timo Werner as well. Uh, but Chelsea will, will have a, a lot of, of things to prove uh, when they take uh, against Zenit. And Zenit, as I know, are not an easy team to play at home. You know, uh, uh, they are one of a, a Russian uh, Russian team, strong force, and they're going to give Chelsea a fight. But if Chelsea put out a strong side, uh, then I see no reason for them to uh, come away with a win. Um, just looking at, at Tuchel's appointment so far, you know, since he's taken over, he hasn't been uh, uh, in any situation where you know his, his future or or his tactics have been questioned. So uh, a bad result will jeopardize that. So I think he's going to go all out and you know try to get this win. I I think Roman has already arranged two nil win. It's it's a done deal. <laughs> in Group F, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chelsea fans. Sorry, Roman and family. Um, Group F, Man United, young boys. Um, Ragnick alluded to the fact that it will be a much changed United side. So we might see the likes of Jesse Lingard given a run out. Donny van der Beek, shock horror. <laughs> might have a start. I mean, United, strange to say this, Arvin. They've actually won Group F with a game to spare despite all the shenanigans of this season. Despite losing to young boys in September, they've won the group. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that's a bit of a shock. I mean, they've, they've been in a group where I think they've kind of had things go their way a little bit through Ole's time. His record in Europe wasn't as bad as how things were unraveling at the end of the Premier League time. Uh, but young boys, coached by ex-Huddersfield manager David Wagner. Um, so they, they, they might find it hard to kind of repeat that 2-1 success that they had a couple of months ago. I think they're only fourth in the Swiss Super League right now, so they're not really not really running away with that either. Uh, lost at home on the weekend to Servete as well. So I expect the likes of... Um, a lot of talk was whether Ronaldo was going to start over the weekend because he had played in the Champions League, and he did. And now the next game is the following Sunday. So you expect the likes of Ronaldo to be given a rest. Uh, he probably still wants to get more goals for his Champions League record to kind of extend it even further than he already does. But the likes of Marcus Rashford, um, Mason Greenwood... Even yeah. Cavani could be good, yeah. could be given yeah. a, a run out. So, yeah, I expect a change lineup, but at, at home against young boys, you expect United to, to, to take this as well, even they've already won the group. All right. Uh, Europa League, very quickly. West Ham, uh, well, they've got no problems in Group H. They won it by a long way. They host Dinamo Zagreb at the London Stadium. You feel that's going to be a massive party atmosphere. Good days for East London and the Hammers at the moment. Now, I reckon the fact that Jamie Vardy started on the bench against Aston Villa means that uh, Brendan Rodgers has half an eye on the Europa League. I mean, Leicester in Group C, that, um, talk about a wide-open group. First to fourth, it can all happen for either team as it stands, going into the final round of matches. I mean, it will do good confidence-wise, Craig, I mean, it's going to rub off onto the league performance and all that. Brendan knows that. Brendan's been a manager long enough and um, it's probably quite important, uh, a European run. Yeah, it's important for confidence now, the season that, that Leicester have had so far. And we talk about managers under pressure and Rodgers is coming into that category. You know, I mean, he's had such a great spell with Leicester and probably overachieved in terms of where they finished in the last couple of seasons. And now is maybe a bit of a a reversion to, well, it's, to be honest, it's below where you would expect them to be. And 
you know, not so long ago he was being talked about as a contender for the Manchester United job, for example. Right? I've not I've not heard so much talk of that of late. So he knows that it doesn't matter what game it is, whether it's a Premier League game, whether it's a European game. If you've got a group of players who are low on confidence, who are, are not winning matches, you just need to find a way to win. We saw that with Newcastle. Yeah. You, know, you, you need to get three points. You need Absolutely. to get a win. You need to get a little bit of that momentum back. And again, there's, you know, there's good players there. Vardy, I was a little bit surprised that he started on the bench, but maybe that is a reflection of, of where the priorities are or how many games he feels Vardy can, can start in a, in a season. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an important... And if you can go on a good run, in, in the Europa League, then some, some really good things might happen for you. But Leicester are another one of those clubs that need to do it quite soon because if they don't get on a winning run in the, in the next few weeks, then this season can start to peter out quite quickly for them, I fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, the, the, the KPI for, for Brendan at Leicester, they have to get through the group stages. It's, uh, anything else is non-negotiable. Uh, Spurs host Wren in the Europa Conference. Tottenham have to beat Wren to guarantee, or at least get point, I reckon, to guarantee, no, probably win, to guarantee second from Group G. Uh, Vitesse versus Moura is the other one. Vitesse and Tottenham on seven points each. So Moura are, are the whipping boys of the group. That's just about it. Trust you will all enjoy your midweek football. I've got to say big thank you to Nicholas Arnil. Yes, Ross. Uh, thanks to Craig Wilkie. Well, you mentioned the Fantasy League winners for October, November. I can say already in December, it's not going to be me. <laughs> um, is this, your, is this your, your last Monday with us or are you going to be with us next week as well? I, I will be still around for another couple of Mondays if you'll have me. Excellent. Excellent. Arvin Sidhu, thank you as well. Thank you, everyone. Pick Patrick Bamford in your Fantasy Leagues. I've got tough fixtures, but Bamford's always good for a goal. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, time to get rid of, of, of Hui Chan. Uh, yeah. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. Bye now. And that is a super finish. And boy, they're welcome back. They are very welcome back. Off the ball every Monday at 8 p.m. on BFM 89.9. Perfect distance. His left foot is an absolute wand. The technique is exceptional. Waiter, no chance. Off the ball on BFM 89.9.